in the Sochi Olympics in Russia, uh, a guy by the name of Gilmore Jr. became a bit of a household name to many uh, Canadian homes. You see, heading into those Olympics, um, the key athlete for us, or at least one of the key athletes, was a guy by the name of Denny Morrison. And Denny Morrison, he was highly decorated in previous Olympics and World Championships. And so Team Canada had put a lot of hopes in him uh, winning medals for us. Well, at the Nationals, um, Denny Morrison fell in his, his specialty, his main event, um, the 1,000-meter sprint. And so having fallen in the Nationals, he failed to qualify in that event, his best event for the Sochi Olympics. He did qualify in some other ones, but those weren't his main events. Those weren't his best events. So later, at the Olympics, he's sitting in, uh, in Olympic Village, and uh, you know he has his phone out, and, and he gets this text. And this text reads, are you ready for the 1,000 meters? And he's like, okay, is this some kind of cruel joke? Like, everybody knows I didn't qualify for the 1,000 meters. Like, what? But the text would keep going on. And it turned out it was his teammate and friend, Gilmore Jr., who qualified to race in the 1,000 meters, but was now offering Denny his place in the 1,000 meters. And so Denny was like, oh, you didn't have to ask him twice. He's like, yeah, I'm there. So Denny took him up on his offer. He raced in the 1,000-meter sprint, and he won silver medal, silver for, uh, for Team Canada in that race. Now think about that. Gilmore Jr. had spent virtually all of his young life training arduously, daily, for the Olympics. And then he finally is able to win a spot on the Olympic team to compete in the biggest stage at the Olympics in that race. And what does he do? He gives it up for his friend and teammate, Denny Morrison. When he was asked about his decision to do that, Gilmore replied, we wanted, to, we wanted what was best for the team. We wanted what gave us the best chance to win as a team. There is no I in team, but there is an I in conflict. And a lot of fights in the church that take place, they're characterized by a, a win-at-all-cost attitude. And this win-at-all-cost attitude is, is driven by this me, my, me, myself, and I mentality, right? So when, when uh, the senior pastor unilaterally decides that it's time for a particular staff person to leave, my way or the highway, or when the chairman of the board decides to push his agenda onto a particular staff pastor, it's my way or the highway, and sadly, the congregation ends up being collateral damage, we started a mini-series in Philippians last week, and I told you that one of the reasons why Paul writes the letter to the Philippians is because there's conflict. And so he wants to address this, this brewing conflict in the church that's threatening to pull his beloved church apart from the seams. And while he will explicitly uh, address this conflict, starting in like 127 on through the rest of the letter, where he will say... Stand together, stand firm, look out for other people. He'll, he'll do that very explicitly. But right out of the gate, he addresses this conflict issue implicitly by modeling. 
right? And so from verses 1 to 8 of chapter 1, we didn't look at it last week, but he's modeling this inclusive attitude, this inclusive attitude that the believers ought to walk in. It's not about cliques and cliquing up with your homies, with your cronies. It's about having this inclusive attitude, this welcoming attitude, this loving, compassionate attitude to everyone in the church. We did look at his prayer, right, in verses 9 through 11, where he models for them how to pray. This is how the mighty Apostle Paul prays for us. Hmm, we should pray this way as well for us. And the answer to his prayer is unity, right, this growing sense of unity. So then starting in verse 12, 12 through 26, he's modeling again for the church what I would call a gospel at all costs attitude. And it's verses 12 through 26 of chapter 1. I invite you to turn there with me if you haven't already, and I'd like to read it for us. Philippians 1, 12 through 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will, I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pause uh, in your presence in order to invite your Holy Spirit to move amongst us in a fresh way, to, give us open, to open our eyes that we might see a truth we've not seen before, to open up our ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us, and to open up our hearts to respond to what the Spirit tells us, to what the Spirit shows us, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this missions update, and that's kind of what it is, because Paul, being an apostle, is a missionary. He travels around. So he's updating this church that he planted 10 years earlier. So he started that church 10 years earlier. He's, he's updating them on his, what's been going on with him, where he's at. 
So before we actually uh, dissect and look at the gospel at all costs attitude, I want to just begin with the occasion that led for him uh, to be able to display for them this gospel at all costs attitude. So look with me at verses 12 through 17. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and he's talking about his imprisonment, of course, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and but others out of uh, envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So the Roman Empire has imprisoned Paul for preaching the gospel. Right? The gospel is the message that Jesus is Lord. That is a very subversive subversive message, Jesus is Lord, because in the first century, Caesar is Lord. That's what the inscriptions tell us. So to preach Jesus is Lord, that does, that's not looked upon very kindly. And so he's imprisoned by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire in the first century is not some banana republic. They are the superpower, the dominant power in the world. They knocked off the Greeks who reigned supreme for over two centuries. They knocked them off and now they become the supreme power. And they are the ones who invented crucifixion, right? The most hideous, horrible form of execution imaginable to man at that particular time in history. They invented it to be used on their enemies, to be used on their subjects. In fact, it was so hideous for them that that it was against Roman law to crucify a Roman citizen. Regardless of what you did, you you could have tried to assassinate Caesar, we're not going to put you on the cross because that's just too hideous for a Roman citizen. So they are the ones who, who put Jesus on the cross. They are the ones who later destroyed Jerusalem and who uh, killed the apostles. So the Roman Empire has imprisoned Paul the apostle. And the Philippians, his spiritual children, Right? He planted the church 10 years earlier. His spiritual children have gotten wind that Paul is now in prison. So they are concerned for Paul. And Paul, you know, he, he's kind of thinking out loud and he's, he's just being very open and transparent. Things are not looking very hot for him. So if we pick it up in verse 20, he says, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So, things aren't looking hot, and he's just being open and honest with the church. You know, I'm not entirely sure how this is going to go for me. And... At the practical level, Paul's imprisonment would have put a huge kink in any evangelistic campaigns that he used to be a part of, right? Paul would go and he'd plant these churches and then he'd come back and he'd visit those churches and then he'd do more evangelism. And for him, the, the key figure, the key preacher to be in prison, that would put a huge kink in any evangelistic campaign and plans, 
I mean, it would be like having, like I remember back in uh, 1998, Billy Graham came to Ottawa. And he came to Ottawa about, I think about four months before my wife and I moved to Ottawa to begin ministry. So we missed him, but we heard, because as a part of the ministerial, all of the groundwork, how the churches work together to bring him in, and they're working on the ground, putting together all these things in place before Billy Graham ever stepped into Ottawa. What if, having put all these things in place, Billy Graham is imprisoned or falls ill? That puts a huge kink in those plans. That's kind of what happened here with Paul. And so, verse 14, he writes, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So, more now than ever before, the gospel's going forth because he's been imprisoned. The church is rallying. Right? We see that in the sports world, right? Like the star of this team goes down, and sometimes when the star goes down, the team just implodes. Right? It's just, they just tank for the rest of the season. But sometimes those teams will rally, and everybody steps up their game because the superstar is now gone. We're not as good a team. We have to step up our game, every single person, and they do that, and they actually start to play better and win more games than they had previously. They're rallying. And so that's what's happening with with Paul here. The church is rallying such that the gospel is being preached more now than ever before in that region. But some folks are preaching they're doing the right thing, but with ulterior motives. Look at verse 17. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Right? So you have some people who are preaching the gospel, but they're doing it to stick it to Paul. Because he can't do it. He's in chains. Now we get to be the heroes. We get to be in the limelight. So everybody can now see me and see how great I am and how great we are. And we can make disciples, and we can make converts. Paul, Paul, how many did you make this week? Oh, right, you're in prison. I've seen a dozen people come to Christ. They're doing it to stick it to Paul, to get Paul to just be so like, oh, man, why am I in here? I wish I could be out there and and start doing this and be the lead person again and be at the forefront of all this. They want to stick it to Paul. That's why some of them are preaching the gospel and evangelizing, to stick it to Paul out of jealousy and envy and selfish ambition. And what is Paul's response? Does it work? Is Paul like, oh man, this is horrible. Is that Paul's response? No. Why? Because Paul walks in a gospel at all costs attitude. And so let's take a look at what a gospel at all costs attitude is entails. And let me give you four features, characteristics from our passage about a gospel at all costs attitude. First, a gospel at all costs attitude enables us to rejoice in the successes of others. To rejoice in the successes of others. Look with me at verse 18. What does it matter 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You see, a win-at-all-cost attitude is consumed with fear and with anger and with jealousy and selfish ambition. That is not Paul. That is not Paul. Paul walks in a gospel-at-all-cost attitude. I remember years ago when I was uh, in junior high and uh, one of my friends, close friends, his brother, older brother who was in high school, was, had learned how to do the Fosbury flop. So the Fosbury flop, if you don't know, it's, it's the way that the world-class high jumpers jump. And it's been that way like forever almost, like late 60s when Dick Fosbury invented it, where you go over the bar, bar backwards, essentially. Uh, and then over the course of like late 60s, 70s, I mean, at the, at the highest level of high jumping, like that's how you jump. And so his older brother, like at low levels, junior high, primary school, you're just kind of jumping over like this or diving over like that. So his older brother's teaching him how to do the Fosbury flop. So then Mark takes a small group of us, me and a couple other guys. And so we, at every lunch hour, we set up the crash mats and the high jump apparatus, which you could never do today. But back then you could. The gym teacher was all fine with it. We set it up every single day and we're jumping, and we're just practicing the Fosbury flop every single day at lunch hour, practicing, practicing, getting better, getting better. And as we're becoming proficient at doing the flop, we are like emasculating our previous personal bass, right? Like normally in the high jump, you would go up by like half an inch, an inch, a couple inches. We are crushing our previous personal bass by like six inches, eight inches, 10 inches. It's like we're on steroids. It was like amazing. Except, I was diagnosed with Osgood-Slatter's disease in my right knee. And so it's lots of soreness, tremendous soreness and stuff. And the doctor said, best thing to do, pull back from all your sports. And over the course of about four months, as mysteriously as it's come upon your knee, it'll just go away. So that's what I did. I just quit all these sports that I was doing. I quit high jump club and uh, just took it easy. Tried to but I kept getting reports from my friends. Oh man, Doug's past you now. His personal best is better than yours. I'm like, what? No. And then they're getting other people to come and join the high jump club. And so they're actually now approaching my personal best. And one guy beat my personal best. I, I, I can't stand it anymore. So I had to come out of retirement and jump. And so I did. So the next one, the, the, we get it all set up and we're jumping, jumping, jumping. And so I've come, it's, the bar is now set to what would be a new personal best for me. And I come and I go to launch and I just hear in my knee. And I just collapse. No air. I just fell right back. And I'm writhing in pain. I tore my patellar ligament. And I've been dealing with the fallout of that ever since. You see, I, I had a, a win-at-all-cost attitude. I was about Team Wayne. I was about Team Me. And when I was being threatened, other people's personal bests were, be, were approaching mine or surpassing mine. I was being threatened. I was becoming jealous. I got I to do this. That's not Paul. Paul is not about Team Paul. Paul is about Team Christ. That's what he is. He's about Team Christ. 
He's not threatened by the success of others. I was completely threatened by the success of others. Paul is not like that. He's not threatened by the success of other people because we're all on the same team. We are all ultimately on the same team. We just play different positions, that's all. You're left wing. I'm goalie. It's not about me being a better player than you. It's about you being the best left wing you can be, you being the best right wing you can be, me being the best goalie I can be. We're all on the same team. And as you improve, as we all improve, our team rises, our team advances, our team gets better. But we're all pulling in the same direction. We are all on the same team. A gospel-at-all-cost attitude enables us to rejoice in the successes of others. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you able to rejoice in the successes of others? Or do you feel threatened by other people's success? Second, a gospel-at-all-cost attitude seeks to honor Christ no matter what. It seeks to honor Christ no matter what. Look at verses 20 and 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the sum total of Paul's life is to honor Jesus. The emphasis in, in, in verse 21, for to me, um, it literally translates as for me or, or as far as I'm concerned, right? As far as I'm concerned, to live as Christ, right? The sum total of Paul's life was to honor Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is that the sum total of your life, to honor Jesus? Because if it's not, if it's to honor self, then you become territorial. Whether you become territorial at work or become territorial in the church, you become territorial and you start viewing others not as teammates but as competitors. And the minute you start seeing brothers and sisters that you're supposed to be on the same team as competitors, things will go awry, things will go off kilter and you're not embracing and walking in a gospel at all costs attitude. Number three, a gospel at all costs attitude leads to a life that bears fruit. It leads to a life that bears fruit. Look at the first part of verse uh, 22. If I'm to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. We are called as Christians to bear fruit. To bear fruit. And I think there are two streams of fruit that we're supposed to walk in, right? Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to bear fruit. And I think there's two streams of fruit that we're expected to walk in, that we should be walking in. The one is the fruit of virtue, right? The fruit of virtue. Jesus lives out his life in us through his Holy Spirit and we exhibit the fruit of virtue, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit is evident in us, and we bear that fruit. That's one stream. I think another stream of fruit is, a, is the fruit of ministry. The fruit of ministry. If you're in Christ, if you're a born-again believer and you are in Christ, you have spiritual gifts. The Spirit has endowed you with spiritual gifts, at least one, at least one. You might not know it, 
So you ought to be praying, Lord, show me my gift or gifts so you can use them. But as you exercise those gifts by his grace through his spirit, he hasn't given you those gifts to hoard. Oh, this is mine. This is so cool. I, no, no, no. Don't, don't look at my gift. No, no. Use those gifts for the benefit of the body and to bear ministry fruit. Whatever those gifts are, helps, administration, teaching, whatever those gifts are, God's given them to you, not to hide under a bushel, not to like admire for yourself under the sheets, in your room, but to serve those around you, to serve the body. A gospel at all costs attitude leads to a life that bears fruit. Are you bearing fruit today? And fourthly, a gospel at all costs attitude leads to an others-centered commitment. It leads to an others-centered commitment. Look at verses 22 to 25. He says, Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul is not sure. Writing this from prison, he's not sure how this is going to end for him. Right? The track record for Christians preaching the gospel in the Roman Empire, not very good. So the forecast is pretty negative. He's not sure how this is going to end. And musing out loud, he just says, you know what, what's best for Paul, what's best for me is to just be with Jesus. That's what he says. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, far better to depart, meaning die, and be with Jesus. Because after all, in his presence there's fullness of joy and eternal pleasures forevermore. I mean, after all, he can shed this body that as it ages, it gets creaky, ankles, bank, back, shoulder, neck. With Jesus, no problems like that. He doesn't have to deal with persecution. Right? When Paul was out on the mission field going from city to city, he knew. He was not caught unawares. He knew when he went to the next city what was waiting for him persecution. He describes how he's been persecuted. He's been beaten with rods. He's been beaten with whips. He's been, he's been stoned with rocks. He's been imprisoned. So after ministering in Guelph, he goes to Cambridge, knowing full well when I get there, I'm going to be beaten horribly. And then he goes from Cambridge to Waterloo, knowing when I get to Waterloo, I'm going to be beaten horribly. But man, when I'm with Jesus, Wow, I don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. It's far better to be with Jesus. That's what he says. And yet, and yet, even though that is better for Paul to depart and be with Jesus, he says, but it is, verse 24, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I I know that I will remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 24, the NIV says, for you, right, it's more necessary for you. Literally, it's on account of you or because of you. In other words, for Paul, it's not about him, it's about them. 
It's not about me, it's about you. That's what a gospel at all costs attitude looks like. Back in 2008, uh, there was this young gal, Sarah Tokolsky, and she was a softball player in college. And uh, her team, her softball team, made it to the championship, uh, state championships. And in that game, she, like she, in her four years, she'd never hit a home run before. In that state championship game, she gets to the plate in the second inning, ball comes, there it goes. It, it clears the park. Home run, you would think. So she, because she's never hit a home run before, she's just running past first, and she's so exuberant. Whoa, yay, home run. In the state championship game, her first one. And as she rounds first, going into second, the third base coach is waving her, waving her back because she forgot to touch first base. She, oh, man, yeah, I forgot to touch first base. So she turns to go back to touch first base, and in a freak accident, she wrenches her knee and she collapses. And she is in pain. And as she's kind of trying to drag herself back to first base, her knee is just being dragged on the ground and she is just bawling and she's in pain and she can hardly crawl. And according to rules, none of her teammates can help her. None of them. Otherwise, the run is disallowed. So that's when Liz and Mallory, two players from the other team, go to Sarah's aid. And they, they pick her up, one on one side and one on the other side, and they gently and gingerly move her back to first base, where she, with her good leg, can touch first base. And then they gently and gingerly move her towards second base, where she can, with her good leg, touch second base, and on to the third base, and then she touches home plate. Home run in the state championships. Home run. She, fits, she hits her first ever home run in the state finals. Oh, and by the way, Liz and Mallory, those two girls from the other team who helped her, their team ended up losing that game. But they weren't thinking about what was best for them. They were thinking about what's best for Sarah. That's what a gospel at all costs attitude looks like. So back in those Sochi Olympics, right, Gilmore Jr. had just done the unthinkable. He'd earned this spot. He trained his whole life for this spot in the 1,000 meters, only to to freely give up his spot in that event to someone else who failed to qualify. And he was asked a lot about that. And this is what he said. He said, my parents raised me to be a team player, to consider the big picture and not think only of myself, to be humble and not a show off. Ultimately, that's one of the reasons I made the decision I did. That's what a gospel at all costs attitude looks like. So let me ask you a question this morning. Will that be you? Will you embrace a gospel at all costs attitude? Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful 
for the gospel. That you sent your son Jesus into this world to die a sinner's death on the cross, to be raised again, and that whoever places faith in him shall live forever. And Lord, the gospel by which we are saved is the gospel by which we can, we can move forward in our salvation, in our sanctification, in our faith. Father, forgive us when we put ourselves at the forefront, the forefront of our lives, the forefront of, uh, of the kingdom, and we usurp your rightful place in the throne of our lives. Forgive us when we do that, when we act and, and, and speak in those ways. And we pray, Lord, we repent of, of a win-at-all-cost attitude. We, re, we repent of, of um, having that me, myself, and I mentality. And we turn and we embrace afresh the gospel and a gospel at all costs attitude that we want to speak and live and act in a way that glorifies, to the praise and glory of God, that glorifies Jesus and advances your kingdom and, and works for the betterment of our brothers and sisters. We thank you, Lord God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.